Welcome to the Truth Hurts Program. I'm Steve Z. Let's get right to it. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Truth Hurts Program. I have a question for you all. What is a leftist-leaning media to do when they don't have a Donald Trump to push around and pick on anymore? Well, they do what I've predicted. They start to eat each other alive. The New York Slimes today penned an article by Noah Wayland and Rebecca Robbins, another two-person team that it takes to write one article. I still don't understand the mentality behind that, but hey, that's their business that they want to spend double the money. According to this article, written an hour ago, the U.S. is sitting on tens of millions of vaccines that the world needs. Tens of millions of doses of the Wuhan China novel coronavirus vaccine company manufactured by the British-Swedish company AstraZeneca are sitting idly in American manufacturing facilities awaiting results from its U.S. clinical trial while countries that have authorized its use beg for access. The fate of those doses of AstraZeneca's vaccine is the subject of an intense debate amongst White House and other federal health officials, with some arguing the administration should let them go abroad where they are desperately needed, while others are not ready to relinquish them. This according to senior administration officials. Gropy Joe, just waking up from his morning nap, is scratching his head wondering, what do I do? What do I do? AstraZeneca, the company, is also involved in these conversations. A spokesperson named Gonzalo Vigna for AstraZeneca said, We understand other governments may have reached out to the U.S. government about donation of the AstraZeneca doses, and we have asked the U.S. government to give thoughtful consideration to those requests. Well, guess what? We, the people, are paying for those doses. And if they're sitting in a freezer somewhere, waiting to be administered in our country then why should we donate them? Hell, we're already giving over half the world much of our accumulated wealth. About 30 million doses are currently bottled and waiting at AstraZeneca's facility in Westchester, Ohio, which handles the fill-finish final phase of the manufacturing process, in which the vaccine is placed in wee little teeny-weeny tiny vials. This, according to an official with knowledge of the 30 million dose stockpile said. Another company called Emergent Biosolutions in Maryland said that AstraZeneca has contracted to manufacture its vaccine in the United States, has also produced enough vaccine in Baltimore for tens of million additional doses once it is filled into vials and packaged. But the AstraZeneca vaccine is authorized in more than 70 countries, not the United States, according to a company spokesman. The U.S. clinical trial has not yet reported results, and the company hasn't even applied to the FDA for emergency use authorization. AstraZeneca has asked the Biden administration to let it loan American doses to the European Union, where it has fallen short of original supply commitments, where the vaccine campaign has stumbled badly. The administration for now has denied the request, as they probably should. Some federal officials have pushed the White House to make a decision within the next few weeks. But we're talking about Gropey Joe, a man who can't decide where to fumble, mumble, stumble, bumble, stammer, stutter, trip, trip, and slip and fall. 
Officials have discussed sending doses to Brazil, a country hard hit by a worsening coronavirus crisis, or even to send it to the European Union or just the country of Britain, rather than keeping it stockpiled. Kind of reminds me of all that toilet paper you all went out and bought, and now it's sitting somewhere in a closet, a pantry, or in your attic, hoping that one day you'll get a case of the runs and you'll need some of that toilet paper. Mr. Vigna said, If those donation actions were to proceed, we would seek guidance from the U.S. government on replacement of dosage for usage in the United States. The White House has not responded to a request for comment. Well, do you expect them to? They won't answer reporters' questions. They won't do a press conference. Why should they answer the questions of a company? The administration's hesitation has been at least partly related to uncertainties with the vaccine supply, especially since Gropey Joe laid down a May 1st deadline in which he promised enough vaccine doses to cover every adult in the United States who is willing to get them. Vaccine production is notoriously delicate and complex. Problems like mold growth can interrupt an entire plant's progress. Last May, the Trump administration pledged up to $1.2 billion to AstraZeneca to finance the development and manufacturing of its vaccine, which it developed with the University of Oxford. And part of that agreement was that the United States would be supplied with 300 million doses if it proved effective. Federal officials and public health experts last year viewed the vaccine, which is less expensive, easier to store for longer periods of time than the other vaccines, as the most likely to be among the first to receive authorization. But that never happened, partly because a pattern of communication blunders by AstraZeneca weakened the country's relationship with the American regulators and actually slowed the development of the vaccine. Last fall, AstraZeneca's trial in the U.S., the same one that will soon report results, was grounded for about seven weeks because the company was slow to provide the FDA with evidence that the vaccine had not caused serious neurological side effects in two volunteers that got serious neurological issues while on the trial. The company's grappling with another safety scare. Acting out of precaution, health authorities in Denmark, Norway, and Iceland have suspended use of this vaccine after several reports across the continent of severe blood clots were revealed. European officials and the company said there was no evidence of any direct causal link. But in the vast majority of cases, the emergence of such medical conditions has nothing to do with the vaccine. Some percentage of people are expected to fall ill by chance after getting vaccinated, just like with the regular flu vaccine. AstraZeneca has also run into other problems as its vaccine rolled out. A shortfall in supply fueled tensions with Europe. People in Germany and other countries have been upset at taking the vaccine for fear that it's second class based on its overall efficacy in clinical trials compared with the Pfizer vaccine. Oh, you be giving all of your AstraZeneca second rate stuff to us poor people, to us minorities. You're giving the good stuff to the white folks, aren't you? South Africa last month halted its plans to introduce the AstraZeneca vaccine after a small clinical trial found that the vaccine did not appear to be protective against mild to moderate illness caused by a concerning virus variant, 
seen in that country. Here in the U.S., the Biden administration moves very, very slowly because Biden moves very, very slowly. And they're moving to order more supplies of the three vaccines already authorized by the FDA, which has further sidelined AstraZeneca as a candidate. The U.S. may only briefly or never need those vaccine doses from AstraZeneca if they're ever cleared for emergency use. Biden told reporters on Wednesday, speaking about a vaccine supply without taking actual questions, if we have a surplus, we're going to share it with the rest of the world. We're going to start off making sure Americans take care of first. Johnson & Johnson, which has authorization for its vaccine in the U.S., fell behind on its production targets in the U.S. and in Europe. It recently asked the U.S. to loan 10 million doses to the European Union, but the Biden administration denied that request, saying, the hell with the Europeans. The European Union has come under fierce criticism for vaccine nationalism as well as protectionism, which intensified last week when Italy blocked a small shipment of doses to Australia, stepping up a tug of war over badly needed vaccination shots. The European Union did export 34 million doses of coronavirus vaccines in the past few weeks to dozens of other countries, even as it faced shortages at home. As frustrations simmer, some European officials are blaming the U.S. and the Biden administration for failure to be compassionate or inclusive. The EU Council President Charles Michel said the U.S. along with Britain have imposed an outright ban on the export of vaccines or vaccine components produced in their territory. When asked about the American supply of the AstraZeneca vaccine on Thursday, Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, told reporters that the vaccine manufacturers are free to export their products made in the United States while also fulfilling the terms of their contracts with our government. But because the AstraZeneca vaccine was produced with the help of the Defense Production Act, Gropey Joe has to put his signature and approve any shipment of doses overseas. This move could have a huge negative political repercussion as long as Americans are still clamoring for shots. And AstraZeneca is likely to want liability protection for doses shipped overseas, similar to those it would have in the U.S. if the vaccine is cleared. They want to cover their ass. Meanwhile, regulators in the U.S. have been waiting for a new AstraZeneca data set expected within the next few weeks from their Phase 3 trial that enrolled 32,000 mostly U.S. participants. They're likely to not report results from an early look at its data, as other manufacturers did. They will instead wait for more statistically meaningful results after trial participants have been monitored longer for side effects and as more people in the vaccine and placebo groups might have gotten sick, federal officials said. Experts believe the vaccine is unlikely to carry a higher efficiency rate than the shot made by Johnson & Johnson, which uses a similar technology and requires only one dose. The potential for the results means AstraZeneca's vaccine might not have an obvious advantage in the U.S. over the vaccines currently authorized. The J&J &J vaccine is easy to distribute. It protects against severe disease and hospitalizations. The two-dose versions made by Pfizer and Moderna use a different technology, but have a much higher efficiency rate in killing the COVID-19 virus.
Federal officials have emphasized in discussions that AstraZeneca's vaccine should not be stored indefinitely in Ohio or Maryland, since it, like all vaccines, even in the freezer, has a limited shelf life. The vaccine can be kept at regular refrigerator temperatures for six months. Some companies are giving two doses spaced three months apart, raising the risk that the doses could go bad if they sit for too long. Now, while Gropey Joe is claiming to take steps to ramp up vaccine production, the administration may have more than a billion doses available by the end of the year, with a big, big chunk of them ready by the end of summer. That's far more than are needed to vaccinate the roughly 260 million adults in the U.S., or even the entire population of the U.S., if children and adolescents become eligible for shots. Most recently, the administration has focused on the J&J one-shot vaccine, brokering a deal to have the pharmaceutical giant Merck, a competitor, manufacture and bottle the shot, and he announced a plan to secure an additional 100 million doses. Before that deal was announced between Johnson & Johnson and Merck, the Biden administration discussed whether or not Johnson & Johnson should simply take over AstraZeneca's manufacturing space in Baltimore which the company shares with Johnson & Johnson. The process of stopping the production of vaccine takes weeks, and because AstraZeneca has a contract with Emergent, a Maryland manufacturer, a White House intervention would be difficult and probably spark a lengthy, very expensive legal battle. The idea was dropped once Merck agreed to go ahead and start helping Johnson & Johnson to manufacture their one-shot version. The Biden administration says it is increasing the supply so that they can eventually vaccinate Chirins and make sure that booster doses to guard against emerging variants may be able to escape the protection conferred by some other vaccines. Privately, two senior administration officials said by helping Johnson & Johnson scale up with the Merck deal, the White House is laying the groundwork for the company to eventually make its vaccines available overseas. We'll have to see, boys and girls. For now, I'm still holding out. I'm healthy, I'm in good shape, and I try to limit my social interactions. I do wear a mask in public, I carry hand sanitizer in the vehicle, and I wash my hands frequently. Hopefully that's enough, and I won't need to poison my body with some vaccine that was hastily rushed to market and is now being pushed, pushed, pushed by the Democrats in the House, the Senate, and the White House. We'll have to see. And we'll be back right after this. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. Yes, gropey Joe Biden was told that something good happened yesterday as he signed the $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief bill that only has about 9% actual coronavirus relief in it. The rest, as we all know, is boondoggles, pork barrel projects, pet projects, and bailouts for failed Democrat-run cities and states. With an evenly divided Senate, the narrow House Democrat majority, Biden and Congress are going to have several uphill battles before them in the coming weeks and months as they try to push climate change and infrastructure programs through Congress. I think they'll have a little bit more difficult time with the climate change agenda, especially when Democrats are in place in Congress with seats in particular states that have a lot riding on oil, coal, natural gas, and other fossil fuels 
as a major source of their income and tax bases. The White House has yet to provide a blueprint to Capitol Hill, where Democrat aides and lawmakers are beginning to explore ideas based on previous failed Democrat plans. With an evenly divided Senate, that narrow House majority, Biden and congressional leaders will need to manage competing demands from both progressive and centrist Democrats, as well as loud opposition from Republicans on how to craft legislation going forward. And since gropey Joe Biden has no plans on speaking directly to the American public or taking questions from the press, it might be quite some time before we get a full idea of the crap he's trying to get rammed through Congress. Democrats approved the latest coronavirus relief bill with not a single Republican vote. They used the process called reconciliation to avoid the 60-vote threshold for advancing the legislation through the Senate. But using reconciliation for an infrastructure bill would be much, much more difficult because skepticism from Democrats like Joe Manchin, who wants to see a stronger push for bipartisan agreements in the next bill, might be a roadblock. That reconciliation sidestepping process comes with a number of rules that limit policy provisions that lawmakers can include in any legislation. For example, Democrats had to remove funding for specific projects, such as raising the minimum wage, because it doesn't fit the proper use of the reconciliation program. When you get a few moments, I want you to look up carbon tax failures in countries like Australia, New Zealand, Great Britain, and others in the European Union. They want to start taxing the amount of carbon you are responsible for emitting into the atmosphere. Now, we don't know where that money will go. They still haven't figured out where all that carbon tax money went in the EU or in Australia. I guess into some politician's back pocket. It certainly wasn't used to stop carbon from being put into the atmosphere. They're talking about raising the gasoline tax as gasoline prices have already risen 75 cents a gallon since Inauguration Day in many United States cities. I'm telling you folks, they're going to do everything they can to ram everything possible without Republican support through Capitol Hill and onto Gropey Joe's desk, where the puppet masters will say, Sign the papers, old man. Sign the papers, old man. My favorite time of the year is coming this Saturday night, actually early, early Sunday morning around 2 a.m. as we spring forward. That's right, boys and girls. Daylight savings time is upon us. This Sunday morning at 2 a.m., clocks should be set forward one hour. That's fantastic news for me. That means when I get out of here at 3.30 after a long day at the Truth Hurts program at Studio 63, It'll be daylight for almost five full hours. It's like working and then getting off of work and having almost a full day to do things. Of course, with most of the nation still shut down for the Wuhan China novel coronavirus pandemic, there ain't much you can do. Unless you're me, of course. Motorcycle? Check. Boat? Check. Four-wheeler? Check. Yep, I can do pretty much any damn thing I want 
and I don't care about Governor Tinkerbell Edwards of Louisiana saying, you should all stay inside for a few months longer. Because listen, folks, late spring and all of summer comes and goes very quickly. And it'll be only a short period of time before Gropey Joe and the Democrats are on television again saying, fall is coming, autumn is coming, and more and more and more of the next crisis is coming. So lock your doors and make sure to tune in to CNN so we can ram more lies and BS down your throats. Yes, I'm looking forward to forwarding that clock by one hour so that at 3.31 p.m. every weekday, I can either jump on the motorcycle, hop in the boat, get on the four-wheeler, or go out and play some music. It'll be fun. It will be refreshing. And I'm not going to let the Wuhan China novel coronavirus scare keep me locked up while the sun is shining. And this happens each and every changing of the clock when we spring forward or when we fall back. The Sunshine Protection Act was proposed by Marco Rubio in Florida along with four Republicans and three Democrat senators. And they say we should ditch standard time since we now only use it four months of the year from November to March. The call to end the antiquated daylight savings time constant switching of back and forth is gaining momentum throughout the halls of Congress. During the fake made-up 1970s energy crisis under Democrat President Jimmy Carter, the U.S. experimented with year-round daylight savings time from January 1974 all the way through October 1975. Dark winter mornings were not too popular. However, we've always been told to switch back. Since 2007, daylight savings time begins the second Sunday in March and ends the first Sunday in November with Arizona and Hawaii being the only two that do not observe daylight savings time. Critics of the current daylight saving time schedule argue that changing the clocks twice a year disrupts sleep schedules, increases car accidents, and also increases the risk of heart attacks, seasonal depression, as well as other health issues. Using daylight savings time year round as Rubio and others are advocating would supposedly improve society's health and you wouldn't have to adjust your clocks or your sleep schedules. More light during winter months in the evening gives people a little extra time to exercise outdoors after work, which would benefit the economy, supposedly. Parents and teachers oppose the idea of darker winter mornings, which could put children's safety at risk as they walk to school or wait for the school bus. And when daylight savings time was used during the 1970s through the winter, Many Americans criticized sending kids to school in the dark. The kids themselves loved it because instead of coming home, having to do their homework, and then it was dark immediately, they actually got to go outside and absorb a little sunlight before bedtime. Many northern states like North Dakota or Michigan already put up with a post-8 a.m. winter sunrise, even during standard time. In places like Fairbanks, Alaska, the sun doesn't rise until 11 a.m. in December. But guess what? Their residents still manage to make it to school and work in the dark, and they don't die in the process. Really quickly, I want to do a little fact check on Biden's address last night before the American people, in which he refused to answer any questions. 
He said at one point, quote, that's more deaths than in World War I, World War II, Vietnam War, and 9-11 combined. He is wrong. He said 527,726 Americans have been recorded as dying from the coronavirus. But, as we noted before, more than 580,000 people died in the three wars he mentioned. Add to that the nearly 3,000 people who died during the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks, and that brings the total to over 583,000. So Biden lied, and nobody calls him out on it. In the past, the White House said Biden misspoke, and he meant to refer to combat deaths. Well, using just battlefield deaths, you come up with a much different number for the three wars, 392,000 because more than half the deaths in World War I were not on the battlefield, in part because of a 1918 flu pandemic that claimed many, many lives in the military. Now, it's a strange, strange situation for Biden to include the 9-11 deaths, because that wasn't combat, and then mix with combat deaths, especially in-service deaths, which are more commonly used when referring to military deaths in war. It's odd that the White House said Biden was referring to combat deaths, Yet he never seems to utter that caveat. Even in his inaugural address, the story was that he was counting all service deaths. So it makes little sense now to suddenly change the metrics. And Biden's put a pretty tall order out there for 2 million vaccines a day. It's going to be fun to watch as he flounders and fails. And finally, on this edition of the Truth Hurts program, Alexandria Horseface Cortez says... Cuomo can no longer effectively lead. Her and Jamal Bowman, both Democrats from New York, issued a statement Friday saying New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, the Democrat, can, quote, no longer effectively lead, unquote, given the controversies surrounding him, essentially urging him to resign. Two lawmakers did not actually say they wanted him to resign, but the language in their statement suggests there's really no real alternative for the governor of New York. Two lawmakers say they believe accounts from several women who made allegations of improper conduct against a Cuomo. As members of the New York delegation to the U.S. House of Representatives, we believe these women. We believe the reporting. We believe the Attorney General. And we believe the 55 members of the New York State Legislature, including the State Senate Majority Leader, who have concluded that Governor Cuomo can no longer effectively lead in the face of so many challenges. Of course, they're leaving out the fact that Mr. Cuomo sentenced tens of thousands of elderly New Yorkers to death when he forced COVID-19 patients into nursing homes where there was no COVID-19 present. The statement was issued as a number of other Democrat lawmakers, including House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler of New York and Representative Mondaire Jones of New York, called directly on Cuomo to resign. Jones said, over the past several months, it has become clear that Governor Cuomo is unfit to continue leading our state. For the good of our state and everyone who calls at home, I urge Governor Cuomo to resign. On Thursday, New York State Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty, a Democrat, launched an impeachment investigation into the allegations against Cuomo, a move that was seen by some as just an effort to buy time for the governor. 55 state lawmakers have called on him to resign, and New York Attorney General Letitia James, a Democrat, is investigating allegations against Cuomo, as well as supposedly his handling 
or mishandling as I call it, the COVID-19 debacle in the nursing homes, which caused the death of tens of thousands of grandmas and grandpas. Are you planning another weekend of total lockdown, quarantine, or forced isolation? Has the two weeks to flatten the curve lie finally sunk in and you just want to get away? Republican Land Vacations invites you to Republican-controlled Florida. Florida offers the safety of wide open spaces, indoor dining, live music, sunny beaches, concerts, movie theaters, spacious occupied stadiums for sports of all types, recreational activities out in the open, and best of all, no Kung Fu Wuhan flu. Let our bright sunny skies load your body with vitamin D. Drink some Florida orange juice for some healthy vitamin C. And ladies, the men here are filled with vitamin E. Leave your masks and sanitizers at home, because in Republican-controlled Florida, we control immigration and we control the Kung Fu Wuhan flu. We're keeping it out of here. Governor Ron DeSantis invites you down to sunny Florida where our businesses are open, our kids are in school, and we enjoy the nation's lowest infection rate for COVID-19. Come to Florida now to get away from the hype, the drama, and the lies of the lockdown cities of Democrat land. Paid for by the Florida Department of Tourism. And that's about all the time we have for on this afternoon edition of the Truth Hurts program for Friday, March 12th, 2021. Go out there, everybody. Make it a great weekend. Do something worthwhile. Have fun. And we'll see you back here on the next program. Thank you for listening to the Truth Hurts program. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you are offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Copyright 2021, the Truth Hurts Program Network. All rights reserved.